The following presentation has been prepared by the Video Tax News team for Canadian tax and financial professionals. Program recorded March 23rd, 2023. Enjoy! Welcome to the April edition of Life in the Tax Lane. Joe, Hugh, how are you doing? Pretty awesome, Caitlin. I've got to say, it's edition number 95. We've done this 95 times. And also, you know, we also do our monthly tax updates, which are sort of a fuller version of this. And we're on edition 500 for that. 500 months, we've, I cannot believe it. I'm feeling a little nostalgic, Hugh. How about you? You know, I got to thinking, Joe, what was the world like in 1981 when that first <laughs> issue came out? And I went and checked who was running the country. Some guy named Trudeau was the prime <laughs> minister. So, uh I'm not sure a lot has changed in that realm, although a heck of a lot has changed in tax mm. and finance, and that pace just seems to keep accelerating. Uh, what did we see this month on all those changes? Yeah, we had a really interesting case here coming up from the tax court, looking at whether two individuals were in a common law relationship. And that really hinged on whether they were conjugal. So the court really had to dig into kind of the the dependency, the relationship between the taxpayer here. And in this specific case, the taxpayer and that individual had been in a common law partnership previously. They had a break, they had a baby, but then they had a breakdown of the relationship. And now at a later point in time, the taxpayer uh, went to their former partner and said, listen, I have a room in my house I can rent out. So the former partner moved into the house, moved into that particular bedroom. And the court needed to figure out was there simply a landlord-tenant relationship here, or was there a little bit more hanky-panky going on <laughs> and more of a conjugal uh, relationship here? And at the end of the day, the court found no, no conjugal relationship. The interactions between the two parties were more analogous to two individuals trying to live in a common shared space in a civilized manner. They didn't do favors for each other, didn't do each other's laundry, didn't cook for each other. So it was a kind of a landlord-tenant tenant relationship, not conjugal, not common law here. Uh, good point, Kaylin. Important to know that because you're going to you determine your benefits based on family net income. So are you mm -hmm. common law or not? It's going to affect things like Big that. Time. Mm -hmm. Well, I would like to move on to the underused housing tax. And my goodness, that has a lot in the professional uh, community accounting finance, mm -hmm. uh, really, you know, shaking their heads and nervous these days. The due date hasn't changed, still due the first date of May. Um, but we have a little bit of information that has leaked out in the last little while. The first one uh, has come for from through the Canadian Hold Builders Association. They got a written response from CRA, which basically said that, listen, uh, yes, you're, you're not an excluded owner, so therefore you're going to have to file returns in respect of all your properties. But if you're exempt from tax, you don't have to actually pay the tax, uh, then you don't have to fill out the information in respect of essentially the value of the property. So there's two mm -hmm. fields there. You don't have to fill the information in. Now, the question is, does that apply just to them or is it a... a, a bigger thing. It looks like it's going to be a bigger thing, but we haven't seen anything public on that yet. Now, the second thing that's come out is represent a client. You can actually file returns on behalf of, behalf of clients through it. The problem is there are a couple things you need to do. You need to certify that the information is accurate and complete. Uh, you need to acknowledge that there are penalties uh, or it's a serious offense to, to provide false uh, information, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But these are really only things that the owner of the property can uh, be signing. So still, there are some problems if we want to do it through rep a client. So hopefully, we'll see some changing wording soon. But don't know yet. Kate, Joe, you? it seems to me those digital applications are a lot more useful to the actual owner of the property. 
going in their own my account, their own my business account, because the other concern I've heard raised by practitioners is we can't just data enter everything and then save it and have someone review yes. it. And yeah. we normally like to have a second set of eyes before we file anything. That's not an option if we're using these online apps anyway. So that's unfortunate, but I think we're going to see a lot of practitioners who've already said it's all going in on paper because mm -hmm. we don't have a good electronic system. Well, mm -hmm. something that we finally did get some answers on, and we've had this one waving around for quite a few years now. We heard some years back, CRA was looking at TFSA owners who had built up huge values by aggressive trading, often in speculative stocks. And they were going after these saying, hey, wait a minute. If you're carrying on a business in that account, that's not tax-free. This is for investments. And we finally had the first tax court case on this. The uh, taxpayer had made quite a bit of money, over half a million over the first three years of TFSAs, which would have been on no more than 15,000 contributed in that full three years, and said, come on, you're an investment expert. You're trading in penny stocks. You're whipping through these, churning multiple transactions in short periods of time. You're carrying on a business. Now, his argument was, well, if I was doing it my RSP or my RIF, it would be okay. The court looked at that and said, yeah, it would, because the Income Tax Act says no matter what you do with investments that are eligible to be held in RRSPs and RIFs, it's never a business. But it doesn't say that for TFSAs. So if you've reached the point that you're doing so many transactions and it really is a business, not just a one-off speculative trade that might be considered to be an adventure in the nature of trade and treated as business income, but a real ongoing business. Yeah, your TFSA is taxable on that income. Well, well that, yeah, go ahead, Kate. Well, I was just going to continue on to the next court case, also dealing with investment advisors. However, the second court case is a winner for the investment advisor. They had earned commission income about one and a half million one year, uh, 1.2, 1.3 million the second year. And what they wanted to do to build up their commission business, their investment advisory business is to, or was to sponsor a professional cycling team. And that was a pretty costly advantage. Um, uh, expense for the taxpayer here. He had paid 265000 in sponsorship expenses one year, uh, 330000 in the second year, and he was trying to deduct this against his commission income. So the question was, was it sufficiently tied to his commission income, a cost to earn commission income to get the deduction? And at the end of the day, the court said, yes, I can see that tie. I can see that marketing generated from this sponsorship activity. Your name, your advisory service was on the front, the back of the cycling jersey, on the shorts, on the shoes, as well as the logo of the financial institution on the jerseys. Further to that, the cycling um, team's website used the taxpayer's name in their URL. So lots of advertising value there. And the court said, yes, that is good enough to draw the link to claim that pretty massive deduction here against your commission income. 
Now, the next thing I'd like to talk about is something that we've been worried about for a while, and now we're actually seeing it in court. And that is, over the last few years, we've had a ton of different benefits and changes to tax legislation come out, not a lot of guidance or potentially incorrect guidance that has come out, and we rely on it and we file it. But what happens if it's wrong, if it doesn't match the actual legislation? Well, we saw that in two cases uh, that have come out over the last month. And the courts essentially said, listen, whatever is in the actual law, the legislation, if, if that's what it says, that's what you got to live with. That's how you interpret the rules, regardless of how CRA has it posed on their website or whatever. Um, so a little bit concerning, just to give you an example uh, of this, was somebody applied for CERB and the prior year's earning test is based on, it can be based on a 12-month period ending with the time you uh, submit the actual application. Well, on the website, it was interpreted to be not that point, but rather the period uh, just before the period in which the CERB application covered. Uh, so a slight difference there, um, and it made a difference between whether they're eligible or not. But again, the court said, the law is the law, you gotta stick mm -hmm. with it. Um, and that's all we can really do at this point. So mm -hmm. you know what, get those professional advisors involved if you don't have any certainty. Joe, what I read from that was the problem wasn't that CRA got it wrong, but they weren't as precise in the timing as they yeah. needed to be. And it's a, a good reminder that those of us who get paid for professional advice probably can't just look at the CRA website. We got to look mm -hmm. at the underlying law. Well, yeah. a little good news for U.S. citizens uh, this month. We had a court case some time back that was headed to the U.S. Supreme Court asking, if you didn't file your, as a U.S. person, report of all your foreign, like Canadian, bank accounts, the penalty is supposed to be 10000 bucks. Is that per form? That's bad enough in U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, no. The IRS said, no, that's per account. And over the five-year period, this guy was getting penalized for. That means his penalty is just a little bit higher than $2.7 million. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court has come back and uh, done their analysis and uh, said, no, it's per form, not per account. 50000 is still pretty painful for five years missed, but at least it's not $2.7 And what I found really scary about that is that's the penalty for an oops, I didn't mean to mess up, not deliberate noncompliance. Wow, we think our penalties are bad. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you for joining us. The Video Tax News team has been providing Canadian accounting professionals with practical tax information for over 40 years. Subscribe to one of our tax newsletters or join us as we present live and pre-recorded seminars relating to both personal and corporate tax. For more information, go to videotax.com. The preceding information is for general information purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts or circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more information, go to videotax.com slash disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News, Inc. 2023. All rights reserved.